Acts 1, 1 to 11. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Thanks, Miles. Well, it's good to be able to start... (laughs) Good to be able to start a new series. Is that coming through okay? There we go. Uh, Good to be able to start a new series on the first day of January. As we look at the book of Acts, we're going to look at this book for 10 weeks. So um, we're going to run for it quite a while and then we'll have some material that leads up into Easter. But because we're in Acts for a few weeks, I thought I'd just do a brief introduction to the book, a bit of background. Acts is a very unique book. It's the only narrative book in the New Testament apart from the actual Gospels, the stories of Jesus' life. And it's a compilation of episodes from the life of the early church from the first few decades. In fact, it begins around 30 AD with Jesus' ascension, Jesus going up into heaven after his resurrection. And it ends around 62 AD with the Apostle Paul, who's now in Rome, a completely different city, uh, preaching the gospel. Acts is written by Luke. Luke was a companion of Paul. Luke was also the author of... Luke's Gospel. So he he writes two books in the New Testament and there's a real sense in which Acts is like Luke part two, if that makes sense. Uh, Part one, Gospel of Luke, part two is Acts itself. Luke, we don't know lots about him. It seems like he was a doctor and clearly he was a scholar. And Acts was probably written pretty shortly after the events themselves, maybe around 62 to 70 AD. Acts is also a very long book. It's, um, it's the second longest book in the New Testament. I was looking this up. Can you guess which is the longest is? It's Luke. It's Luke itself. So this guy loves to write. He loves to write long books. Um, there was probably a bit of a standard scroll length that was going around, and it sounds like Luke filled the scroll both times. Um, so this is how long Acts is. It's a long book. And because it's long, we're not going to preach the entire book in these 10 weeks. Uh, we'd have to just fly over it, and we wouldn't get a lot of sort of meat out of it. So I'm going to slow down a bit, and we're just going to look at Acts chapters 1 to 7. It's the first big chunk of the book, and it all takes place in Jerusalem, in the capital. And we'll look at the other chapters of Acts at another time later on. But just for now, it's Acts 1 to 7. 
Don't want to say too much more about Acts for now. We will discover more as we get into it. Let's see how it all begins. Luke writes, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Luke writes this book to a gentleman called Theophilus, uh, which is a Greek name. It's also the same person he wrote the Gospel of Luke for. Uh, In Luke, he he actually calls him most excellent Theophilus. Um, It's likely this guy was a Christian, a recent Christian, who wanted more information. And he's, he's probably very wealthy as well. It's probably that he's commissioned Luke to write these two novels, essentially these two texts, these two letters to him to explain what's been going on, that he's paid for Luke's time to do this. And so Luke writes the Gospel of Luke with episodes about Jesus' life and he writes the book of Acts to the same gentleman with episodes about the early church. And Luke, he refers to his first volume, doesn't it? He says it's a, it was a book about all that Jesus began to do and teach which I think is really interesting language because if you read Luke, it feels like a pretty complete account of Jesus' life. It has Jesus' entire life and ministry in it from birth to death to ascension. But when he writes this, Luke's Luke's hinting here. He's hinting that Jesus is doing more. He says the gospel was all about Jesus, what Jesus began to do and teach while he was on earth physically. But he's pointing forward that Jesus is going to be doing more ministry on earth even though he's gone through the power of the Holy Spirit that he's given. And the other thing we see in these verses is the role of the apostles, the role of the apostles here. Luke writes that Jesus has given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he's chosen, which is true. Jesus, through his life, he instructed the apostles. He taught about himself, he taught about his kingdom, he taught about God's love, he taught them how to live as God's people. Jesus has instructed his apostles through his spirit. And before Luke sort of recaps the ascension, which he's about to, there's one particular bit of teaching he focuses on here. Let's read on. It says, on one occasion, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus' death and resurrection has taken place and there was a 40-day period when Jesus was still on earth and the setting here is a meal. It's, I think it's, it's important to see this as a meal setting. He's sitting around or reclining at the table with his apostles. He's done this many times before. He did this during the Last Supper. And he says, stay in Jerusalem at least for a while because soon you'll be baptised with the Holy Spirit. And he draws upon in this discussion, saying that John the Baptist had said many years earlier, as Jesus was just beginning his ministry, he reminds them of this. I'll I'll go back to it. This is from Luke chapter 3, his first letter to Theophilus. He wrote this about Jesus and John. The people were waiting expectedly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptise you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. In John's ministry, when John was active, he baptised people with water. 
a powerful image of cleansing and confessing, confessing of sins and of people desiring to change their lives. But he was really clear about his role. There was someone more important coming, someone who would come and baptize people with the Holy Spirit. If baptize is an image of dipping, it was like Jesus would be immersing people in the Holy Spirit. And finally, these apostles, they were probably wondering, when was this going to happen? Finally, after three years of traveling and teaching and miracles, Jesus says, it's about to happen. In a few days, this baptism of the Holy Spirit is going to take place. So Jesus has instructed his disciples during his life. Jesus has promised the Holy Spirit is about to come on them. Let me read on. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Maybe you can picture the scene, mealtime, reclining at table, gathered around Jesus. Jesus says that line about being baptised with the Holy Spirit, and then it says, then they gathered around him. Um, I don't know exactly what the meal scene was like initially, but it sounds like it was pretty relaxed. They were sitting around, sharing some stories, enjoying their meal, and this is like a mic drop moment. This is like a bombshell. Jesus drops this in, and suddenly the casual nature of the meal is over. They are focused on Jesus, sitting up straight. They gather around him and they say, Jesus, is this the time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Which is a really interesting question. It it kind of gives us a sense of how far the apostles have got in their understanding of Jesus and his ministry. For them, the end goal, it seems, was still, at least significantly, that geographical kingdom of Israel being restored under Jewish control. At this time, of course, The Roman Empire was in control, uh, and Israel existed, it did exist, but it was a vassal state, it was a subordinate state of the mighty Roman kingdom. And look, even though Jesus' ministry has had a lot of surprises, in their hearts, the apostles still think, yeah, but this is going to happen, isn't it? This is still going to happen, this is still our goal, isn't it? To restore that national geographic kingdom back to God's people. That's still our goal, isn't it, Jesus? Now, (laughs) Jesus says, look, soon you'll be baptised with the Holy Spirit. And they're thinking, okay, this is it. This is the thing. We've been waiting for something, a trigger to to get the kingdom back. This is it. Maybe this is what it was. We need to be a little bit gentle, I think, when we read about the apostles. I, I confess when I sometimes read their stories and their thoughts, I can be a little scornful. I can think, oh, my goodness, how have they not got it by now? This is embarrassing. But I think it's good to be gentle. We have the incredible benefit of hindsight. We have access to the entire New Testament. Uh, We get to actually see what happens through Acts, through all the New Testament letters. We get the prophecy of Revelation. We get the big picture. We know Jesus has not come to restore the geographical kingdom of Israel to Jewish people, but to create this global kingdom of, of all sorts of people, Jews and Gentiles alike, of all nations, a kingdom of people who live for God where they are, regardless of boundaries or national limits. A kingdom of people who will one day be brought together in the name of Jesus when he returns. The disciples didn't know this, and really, they probably couldn't have known this yet. They didn't really have the information we do. But as we work through Acts, we're going to see them learning. This is why I wanted to highlight this. We're going to see them putting pieces together. 
they're going to grow a lot through this book. And I, I want to say as well, look, even though they're not exactly on the money here, wanting to restore that geographical kingdom, they've come a long way. They, they know Jesus is the Messiah. There is no doubt in their mind now that Jesus is God's promised king. And they know he could do this. And look, I think they've also learned this isn't going to be a military takeover. They probably didn't understand exactly how Jesus would establish his kingdom, but they've learned that he is not a man of war. He is not a general or a military man. So they ask his question. Jesus says, look, it's not for you to know the time. He doesn't correct their assumptions immediately. This is going to happen over time. But he does say, look, please don't worry about timing here. That's not important. You're not supposed to know when God's kingdom will be fulfilled. But instead he tells them what they are to do. Remember, he's just said the Holy Spirit's about to come on you. That's coming soon, any moment now. So what are they to do? What do they do with this Holy Spirit? Do they take back the geographical kingdom of Israel? No. Here it is. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This verse, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it's a really cornerstone verse in the whole book, in the whole book of Acts. It's almost like, like a topic statement for the entire book. So I want to spend a moment here. Jesus says they will receive power from the Spirit. And they would. We're going to see this through the books of Acts. We're going to see incredible acts of power, healing and miracles, and all sorts of incredible witnessing from the apostles. They are going to be empowered. The apostles hadn't had this ability before when Jesus was around, but soon it was coming. Second thing is they would be his witnesses. And it's not as explicit as I would probably like it, but there is a very strong link here between the power of the Holy Spirit and their role as witnesses. As we read Acts, we're going to see this as well. One of the most noticeable differences between the apostles before the Holy Spirit, including, I think, this chapter, and after the Holy Spirit, is their boldness. It should strike us. I think it will, once we get into Acts 2 and beyond. In the Gospels, the disciples sometimes feel like comic relief characters, don't they? But as we get into Acts, from Acts 2, they are fearless, fearless for the gospel. Gone are the days when they would lock themselves in a room, huddling for safety out of fear. They are out there, they are taking beatings for their faith, and they are proclaiming the name of Jesus fearlessly. And I think this verse brings together this whole passage, because at this point we might be thinking, Yes, they're witnesses. You know, they were the ones that have seen Jesus through those three years. But you might think, these guys are lame. These guys are pathetic. How are they supposed to witness for Jesus? The answer is the power of the Spirit. The Spirit fills them. It gives them boldness and courage to tell the world about Jesus and all he said and did. Last thing about Acts 1.8 is it also sets out a geographical plan. Jesus says there'll be witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, which is exactly what happens. You may not be able to see the little dotted circles. They're pretty faint. But this is what happens. Initially, the disciples stay in Jerusalem. They stay in the capital. Then from chapter 8, they spread out across Israel, the region of Judea in the south and Samaria in the north. And from chapter 13, the expansion goes further. Turkey, Macedonia, and eventually all the way to Rome, which really was the ends of the earth as they knew it. And look, this is also the reason we're dividing the book into these sections. Acts 1-7, to it's the Jerusalem section. Everything that takes place in Jerusalem, 
The next section is really focusing on Judea and Samaria, and then the ends of the earth to the end of the book. So, quick recap. In the first part of Acts, we're reminded Jesus taught and he modelled to the disciples through through his life. He promises the Holy Spirit is coming on them, and then he says that spirit is actually going to turn your witnessing of what I've done into something useful. It's going to give you power to be witnesses in the world, in this expanding ministry of the gospel. It's a great start to the book. The most important question perhaps for us is, does this apply to us? Is this relevant for us? Is this important historical story alone, or does this resonate with our own lives? Is this just for the apostle, or is it for us? And this is a question we are going to be wrestling with really through the whole book of Acts. Uh, I'm going to use some slightly tricky words, they're not too tricky, but it's a question of prescription and description. Does this passage, does any Acts passage just describe what happened? These are events that took place. They certainly do that. But are they also prescription? Do they prescribe for us a particular pattern of behaviour, a particular way of living? Is it just description or is it prescription as well? And Acts is probably the book where where the rubber hits the road the most. In the Old Testament, we know the context is very different. And we know that the specific applications of the Old Testament often don't apply as directly. They're great lessons for us, but it's not just as simple as, okay, we need to now build a wall around Jerusalem. That was one of the wonderful applications from the book of Nehemiah. But we know that's not something that 21st century Australians are called to do. In the New Testament letters, on the other hand, it's almost all prescription. This is Paul writing to other Christians in all sorts of parts around the world with directions about how to live. And we know this is our people, this is our time, that's prescription for us. With a few exceptions, that's prescription for us as well. But Acts is hard. Acts is hard because it's in the same time period of salvation history as us, that time after Jesus' death and resurrection, But it's also in a very, very different context. It's a very specific context. So should we follow what happens in Acts? Should we do what they do? I wonder if that's a question you've asked yourself before. And the answer is sometimes. Sometimes we should. We actually need to do the hard work at each point in Acts. We need to think about whether this does make sense for us to follow or whether this is just important historical information for us to learn from. So today's example... Should we be doing this? Should Jesus' direction to his followers apply to us as well? Well, certainly some of it does. That line from Jesus about not stressing too much about time, calculating, trying to work out when Jesus will return and bring his kingdom to fulfillment, that also applies to us. God knows. God will do his work. It's not for us to know the time when Jesus will return. But what about the bigger point about the Holy Spirit and being witnesses. Jesus here was only talking, it seems, to the 12 apostles, and the apostles had a very special role. As hopefully my little demonstration pointed out, there is something unique about being the first witnesses. We did not see and hear from Jesus as the apostles did. The apostles have a special role. And Jesus confirms that. In in John, this is during the, the Last Supper, Jesus confirms that they do have a special role. He says to them, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, and you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. They have been there from the beginning. They've got a special eyewitness role in the history of the gospel. 
But we are still called to be witnesses in a broader sense. We are called to witness to what God has done in Jesus through history. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul uses this wonderful phrase. He says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We are still to carry that message on, to be witnesses in that sense, in a broader sense, to what Jesus has done. The ambassador who goes with a message of delegation to another person from the king. And we're also called to witness to what God's done in our own lives. Perhaps one of the most powerful witnesses you can do. It's been wonderful being on Beach Mission the last week. And in each afternoon session, one of the team members gave a powerful testimony of their own faith, of what God has done in their life. And they were all excellent and such wonderful encouragement for the team, but also, we pray, for the children to hear. The way Peter puts it, he says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. We are to be witnesses of God's work in us. And I want to say as well, that promise of empowerment by the Holy Spirit also applies to us. It was something that applied to those 12 apostles. It applies to us as well. This is how the Apostle Paul puts it. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it's the same God at work. To each one, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Each believer empowered by the Spirit to serve God in some way. Last thing, what about Jesus' geographical plan? What about that outward spread of the gospel? That's good to see where we fit in here as well. Because the reality is we are in that last section. We are not Jews in Jerusalem today. We are quite, almost quite literally at the ends of the world. We are in that last section of that action plan that Jesus was spelling out. And this, this mission is ongoing. Now, it's true that in every country there are people who know and trust in Jesus. But in some people groups, the numbers are so small that they cannot actually self-replicate. Part of our mission support as a church is that we support the Australian Baptist mission team in Thailand. That's one country where they work, where they seek to reach ethnic Thai people. Among ethnic Thai people, less than 1% are Christian. And so through the work of these mission workers and others, the witness of Jesus, it's still going out, isn't it? It's still going out to the ends of the world where people still need to hear the good news about Jesus. But I don't think it's just mission support. As I said, Australia, in a sense, is, is quite the end of the world, certainly from Jerusalem, as far as Jerusalem's concerned. When the apostles heard these words from Jesus about their witness going to the ends of the world, I'm very confident that they weren't thinking of Australia. They were probably thinking of Spain, to the west, they were probably thinking of India to the east and Rome through into Europe, maybe a little further, but not Australia. Now, we know that the gospel has already reached Australia. That's the reason I'm standing in a church today and speaking from the Bible. But there are millions, there are millions of Australians who do not know Jesus as their Lord. And there are many more who are being born. It's likely that you have friends or family in your life who don't know Jesus and there's also a good chance that for some of them, you're the only Christian that they know, which is a very daunting thought that God might be calling you to be a witness to someone. But let me encourage you in this. Those first apostles, when they heard these words from Jesus, I suspect they were shaking in their boots. They were thinking, <laughs> okay, Jesus, I mean, yes, we've seen your ministry, we've heard your teaching, 
We get it. We're the witnesses. Uh, but are we really the ones you want to entrust your gospel work to? And that's why Jesus promised to empower them with the Holy Spirit. It's so important. I want us to be encouraged with this too. If you're here and you trust and know Jesus, God's Spirit is with you. God's Spirit is with you. It can empower you to be his witness in any occasion. His Spirit has gifted you in special ways to witness for him, to be his representative, to be his ambassador wherever you are, whatever context. And just like the apostles, God can use you to continue spreading the knowledge of Jesus to the ends of the earth, whether that's through giving to missionaries who work in Thailand or whether that's through a neighbour who doesn't know Jesus. There's lots of ways you can do this. It could be offering to pray for a friend. It could be sharing something God's done in your life with someone. You might even be able to do that this week. It could be lending them a good Christian book or resource that they might be able to use. I want to say as well, one particular opportunity you have is we're running the Alpha course in our church soon. We've been encouraging people to consider signing up. If you're here and you'd like to know more about God, let me encourage you to put your name down for the Alpha course. There's a little sign-up sheet just over near the morning tea section. But if you'd also like to think of an opportunity when you could be a witness for God, you could consider inviting a friend, maybe a friend you've spoken to about God before, who might want to sign up, who might be willing to put their name down for the Alpha course, to meet with others to talk about God in a pretty relaxed atmosphere with some great video content. I'll leave that with you. I think it's good to start this book on the first day of the new year, first day of 2023. Let me encourage you all here to continue to trust in God, to trust in God's spirit within you, and to hear this challenge that Jesus gave to the apostles to be a witness for him to the ends of the earth. Let me pray. Lord God, I thank, you. I thank you today for the apostles. I thank you that you chose these 12 individuals to be your witnesses, to see what you did, to witness it and to tell the world. Lord, I thank you that we are the recipients of that witness. Lord, as the gospel message has spread across the world, the good news about what you've done for us, dying for us, rising again for our sake, Lord, we have heard. Lord, we hear that challenge to be witnesses and... I suspect, like the apostles, we possibly feel nervous about that calling upon us. But Lord, I thank you that just as you did for them, you empower us by your spirit that you promise as well, so that we can be witnesses to those we know who don't know you as Lord. Lord, I pray that this year you would continue to empower us, empower us afresh, Lord. Give us boldness and courage in 2023 as we seek to be your witnesses in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, on this first day of 2023, it's also a 